Welcome to the second tape of the series, What We Catholics Believe. Tape two is about ourselves. It should be a lot easier to follow than the first tape. We are not the great mystery that Almighty God is. Although there is an element of mystery in each of us. Poets have addressed this, including William Shakespeare. And also the psalmist, who wrote in Psalm 8, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou hast made him a little less than the angels. So, what is man? Now, I'm not going to give you the ideas of any human being, no matter how clever, but the church is teaching, because that's what we can rely on. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we are told, quoting the first book of Genesis, verse 26, that God said, Let us make man to our own image and likeness. So that's what we are. Beings made in the image and likeness of God himself. Now I know I spent most of the last tape trying to show that God is a very different kind of being from us. That God is everywhere, that he knows everything, that he's pure spirit, and so on. And now I'm saying we're made in his image and likeness. But of course we're not exactly like him. We're not other gods, that would be impossible. We're obviously limited, created beings. We can see that. So where is this likeness to God? Well, the little catechism tells us on the first page that this likeness to God is in our souls and that our souls are like to God because they are immortal, they will never die, and they are spirits. And of course God is both. So we're going to have to talk a little bit about our souls. We don't hear about them very much these days. And that's a shame, because they're very important to us. And they are unique to human beings. And I think we need to explain this a little, especially if we're teaching children, that we are a special kind of creation. Encourage them to look at the world around us and to sort the creation they see into categories. Children like doing that. The first category are all the things that God made with no life in them at all. Things like rivers and the sea, rocks and mountains, the stars and the moon. There's plenty of them. Children will think of more if you start them off. Then the second category of creation, I would put plants. Because plants have got some life. Plants can grow. Plants can reproduce themselves. Something that the things that are made with no life can't do. It's quite a good idea to let children grow something from a tiny seed. 
and realise that there's life locked in that seed. Grow mustard and cress. Grows quickly. The seeds are small and they soon realise that they're different from little bits of plastic or sand. They've got life. And that life was put there by God and only by God. So we've got things with no life. We've got plants with some life. Then the next category would be animals. Animals have more life than plants. And that's obvious again. They can move about, as well as growing and reproducing. They can make noises, most of them. And therefore they've been given a larger share of life. And finally, we come to human beings. And we tell them that human beings have the most life of all. All right, they can grow and reproduce. They can move about and make a noise. And they can also do things that even the most intelligent animals can't. And this needs a little bit of thought and explaining. I used to show the class pictures. First of all, picture of animals doing things that they can't really do. A horse reading a newspaper, a dog reading a book, a hen painting a picture, and a fish playing the piano. And obligingly enough, the children would laugh. So they were funny pictures. Then I would show them a picture of human beings doing the same things. A man reading a newspaper, his wife reading a book boy painting a picture and a little girl playing the piano and of course nobody would laugh so I'd say to them why aren't you laughing you laughed at the last picture and they would say but that one's not funny people can do those things yes that's the difference people have that much more intellect understanding, reason whatever name you like to give it they are capable of much more abstract thought than animals, plants ever will be. And that's because people have got spiritual souls made in the image of God. There's all sorts of names for the qualities of our soul. Intellect and free will are the ones perhaps most convenient to use. But the power to know, the power to love, there are other ways of saying the same thing. Mind and heart, you often hear it referred to. Heart does mean your will. You do something with all your heart, you do it with all your will. And sometimes you hear the powers of the soul described as three powers. Memory understanding and will. But memory and understanding are really just parts of the intellect. Spirit functions on two powers, knowing and loving. And that's true of God, the eternal spirit, it's true of the angels, and it's true of us. We can know, we can love. And because we can know and love, we can pray. 
You never think of teaching an animal to say his prayers. You know you can't. But even a child can learn to pray. Human beings have this tremendous privilege that they can speak to Almighty God whenever they like. Now, why did God make us so special, so different? And it's deliberate. Everything God does is deliberate. And we read about this in Genesis book 2, chapter 2, sorry. That God, the Lord God, formed man in the slime of the earth and breathed into his face the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So that's what we are, living souls. And the reason this is done is because God wants us to be living souls capable of understanding and loving. Because he wants us to be his companions, his close companions. Here, while we're on earth, and of course, in his home in heaven for all eternity. To do that, we do need to have a certain amount of intellect so that we can know him. And of course we need free will so we can choose whether we love and obey him or not. And then we can have a real relationship with him. That you can't have with a being who hasn't got an immortal spiritual soul. You may have a pet that you love very much, but you know you can't share a joke with him or turn to him for help when you need sympathy or advice. For that, you need your human friends. With them, you can form a real relationship and with God, you can form a real relationship. Now, I think it's very important that we remember that we are living souls. You don't see your soul. You see your body all the time. You can't forget that. But we don't see our souls. We might try and think about them in our imagination, but although that could be helpful, it, to a very limited extent, if you lean too much on that, it will be unhelpful. The best thing is to remember that our immortal souls are what make it us what we are that they inform our bodies, fill it completely, just as God fills the universe with his presence, and that they are very precious. It's our immortal souls that will live on after we have died, our bodies have died. And as Jesus said when he was on earth, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul. In the long run, nothing. Because our souls continue to live after our bodies have died, they are the real part of us. They give us our identity. When we're young, when we're old, after our death. They're the part of us that never changes can't change 
The soul is spiritual, simple. It's not made up of any parts. It can never change. It can never die. It can never ch- that means it will never decay. It can never change. And that's the part that stays constant all through our lives. I used to illustrate this with a class by telling them a story, a true story, about an old retired teacher I know, who many years ago was walking along a busy street when she decided to cross the road. She waited at the curb, but the traffic was so busy she couldn't cross. And then a young policeman came walking by. As I said, this is a few years ago. And he very kindly stepped into the traffic and held it up so that she could cross safely. And he followed her to the other side. So she turned and thanked him. And he said, that's all right, Miss Knight. Oh, she said, do you know me? Yes, he said. I was in your class when I was five. Now, she didn't recognise him because in the ensuing 20 years his body had changed completely. He was no longer small with fair curly hair as he had been at five. But his soul hadn't changed. He was exactly the same person. And so he remembered her. And as old people don't change as much as young, he recognised her. So our souls give us our identity. They are the essential part of us. And they give us our natural human dignity. And they give that to every other human being as well. Each soul is unique. There are no two identical. You sometimes get twins whose bodies seem to be identical, but their souls, even their souls, are unique and different. Each soul has been created individually by Almighty God. Our bodies are inherited from our parents, but we don't inherit our souls. At the moment we started life at conception, God created our soul. And it's quite different from anybody else's. That's why if one soul is lost, it is irreplaceable. Nobody else can take its place. That's why it's very important to save our souls and to help others to save their souls. I've been stressing how important our souls are to us. I'd like to say a little bit about the intellect and the will which make up our souls. The intellect has a great importance of its own because it is the intellect that moves, motivates the will. If we know and understand the truths of the faith, we can follow them. We might not choose to follow them, but we can follow them. If we don't know them, we're left guessing. We might do the right thing. Hopefully we will. But we don't know for certain. So the intellect, an informed intellect, is very important. It's not the only essential. You need both the intellect and a good will. We all know of people at least who know a great deal about the faith, but who don't bother to practice it. That's very sad. 
it can happen. But as Pope St. Pius X said when he was discussing this problem, although a man with his eyes open may choose the wrong path and go astray, a man blinded by the darkness of ignorance is in far greater danger. Because if the well-informed but perverse man goes wrong, he can reform. He can come back to the knowledge of what is good and right and change. But the ignorant and perverse man cannot. He's nothing to come back to. Ignorance is a great enemy of goodness. This is something St. John Fisher, the great English saint, realised very early in his life. This is why he made himself a man of learning and did his best to instruct others. He founded the college in Cambridge, St. John's. And there's a statue at the way in of his figure standing there crushing a really ugly, repellent-looking monster. And the monster he's crushing is ignorance, because that's how he saw it. Really harmful. So that's something that we've, we've got to try and fight. In ourselves and in others. That's why missionary work has always been so important to the church. Instructing the ignorant, saving them. But even here at home, that's why a faithful religious instruction for children and for adults is absolutely essential if precious souls are not to be lost. But the most well-informed and carefully instructed intellect can lead us astray if we don't have goodwill. Free will is a great gift, but it is a double-edged gift because it can work for good and it can work for bad. Used properly, it can enable us to love God and our neighbour and indeed to become saints. But if we misuse it, if we commit evil, and evil maybe that causes other people great suffering, then, of course, we lose our souls and we are in real trouble. It's very easy to say that, and, to, and it looks cut and dry, but, of course, it isn't as easy as that. I remember there was a poet who wrote, I am the captain of my soul, I am the master of my fate. Well, he was a little bit optimistic. We can all assent doing good and say, yes, I won't do anything wrong anymore. But it isn't as easy as that. There are lots of reasons why it's not. And one of the reasons why people find it difficult is their own circumstances, which are often beyond their control. The way they were brought up, maybe. Or the way they see things for some reason. Their own health. Their mental health. Or their physical health. And because all these factors converge on us and they make a difference to how we think about things and they help us to choose how we behave, then we have to be very careful about judging other people. 
We don't know all their circumstances. We don't know the details of their upbringing. We don't know even what physical, mental state they're in. So we must never judge. We can judge the things that people do. Say, yes, that's not a good thing to do. That's not a good example to follow. That's not the way to behave. We can even tell them that if it's a friend. But we don't judge the people, the condition of their soul. There's only one person who can judge, and that's God. He knows everybody's circumstances exactly and intimately. He knows exactly what he can expect. And he will be our judge. But you'll notice in the New Testament, there are many warnings against judging. Do not judge. Judge not that you will not be judged, and so on. But having said that, there is no question that we do see evil being committed all around us and in all parts of the world. And we see that this evil can cause untold suffering, often to innocent people. And naturally, when that happens, people say, how can this be allowed to happen? How can God permit this? If God is almighty and God is good and all-loving, how does he permit these poor people to suffer so for one person or a group of people's evil hearts. And obviously he does. This is a mystery. We're not going to be able to understand it completely. But we can think about it a little. We can see that perhaps God allows this to happen but still manages to bring good out of evil. That the innocent people who suffer so much will have it compensated, if not in this life, then in the next. And that will assuage God's justice. And we can also see that really God had no alternative. Although he's all-powerful, he has deliberately given us free will. The great gift can lead to enormous good. But it is a dangerous gift. But he stands by it. He respects it. If he stepped in every time somebody was going to do something really evil and prevented it, he would be violating the free will. We wouldn't have free will. We couldn't do wrong. In fact, we wouldn't be human beings. We would be more like robots, programmed to be good, to be kind, to be good-tempered, to say our prayers, to do all the things that we're meant to do, and with no choice. And that would make us really worthless beings. Certainly not with the dignity of a human being. As it is, as I say, it's a double-edged sword. The free will can lead to great good as well as great harm. Every time you do something for the love of God. Kind act to a sick person, a prayer, a visit to Mass, 
You're doing it because you've chosen to do it. You're exercising your free will. And it's of immense value to you and to Almighty God. It shows him you love him. Someone actually kneels down by their bed and says their night prayers before they get into bed. Nobody's making them do it. They're choosing. It shows their faith in God and their love of God. And that's very precious to him. So, as we're going to finish each of these tapes with a prayer, we're going to choose now to say our prayer, exercising our free will. At least I hope you will. I hope you'll join me. We're going to work our way through the mysteries of the rosary. And today, we're going to be saying the first joyful mystery. The rosary is divided into joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries. The five joyful mysteries are about the early life of Jesus, about God when he became man, lived on earth. There are some beautiful prayers that come into these stories, and there are many journeys. And the first mystery is called the Annunciation. That's the announcing of the coming birth of our blessed Lord. And the Annunciation was made by an angel. The angel Gabriel came to Nazareth in the northern part of the Holy Land to the house where Mary lived and spoke to Mary. Spoke the words, in fact, that we say to her. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And it tells us in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, that having heard this, Mary was troubled and wondered what manner of salutation this was. So the angel went on to say, Fear not, Mary, you have found grace with God. You can conceive and bring forth a son who you will call Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Mary said to the angel, How shall this be done, because I know not man? She was really saying, Because I have taken a vow of virginity. Mary was at this time betrothed to Joseph. And the angel didn't reply and say, Oh, but you're going to marry Joseph. It'll come in the natural way. Because the angel knew quite well about the vow of virginity, as did Almighty God, of course. So the angel explained, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy who will be born of you will be the Son of God. Then Mary understood it was going to be a divine intervention for her child to be born. And she assented. She didn't just say yes, though. She gave a beautiful answer. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her 
and God the Son, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word, became flesh in her womb, starting life just as we did, and growing for nine months just as we did. I think it's very interesting that the angel told her what was going to happen, and then Mary gave her assent. You see, Mary had, has free will just as we have. She wasn't forced to become the mother of God. She was asked. <clears throat> and her answer was a lovely answer. I am the handmaid of the Lord. I'll do whatever he wants. And this is how God treats everybody, respecting their free will. He will ask you if he wants something for you to do. He does ask young men to become priests, girls to become nuns, people to become teachers or nurses or all sorts of vocations. And when he asks, it is a question, and you can say no, exercise your free will, and it wouldn't be a sin. You have the perfect right. It might be a great shame, you might lose a lot of graces, but it is your right, without any sin, to say no. Because it's lovely if you can give the answer that Our Lady gave. I am the servant of the Lord. I'll do whatever you want. Now, while we say the Our Father, ten Hail Marys and glory be, we think of that story happening in Nazareth all those years ago. Very, very important occasion because it was the beginning of our redemption. It was how God became man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, <coughs> thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I hope you've got some idea of the great dignity of us living souls, us human beings. I would just like to finish by quoting what Shakespeare said about man. He put it in the mouth of Hamlet. And he said, What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And that's what we are. Now, the next tape is going to be about our first parents, about the fall, original sin, and the promise of our redemption. Thank you very much for giving me your attention. <laughs>